0: When a Wyoming cowboy spends a summer weekend visiting family in Nebraska, a disagreement prompts him to take a walk to cool down. He's expected to return quickly, but when a thunderstorm rolls through, he disappears along with it and a search is launched in this episode of Last Seen Alive. for listening to Last Seen Alive. I'm your host, Leah, crime analyst by day and true crime storyteller by night.
1: As always, I'm your co-host, Scott.
0: Before we dive into Chance's case, we've got a quick update for you on one of the stories we told you a couple episodes ago, the Julie Ferguson case. Oh, what's that? So in that episode, we told you guys that investigators identified a man who had been interested in Julie and who she had turned down, and that that same man later went to jail for a different murder. And I was really frustrated by the fact that we only found this mentioned as a sort of byline in one article, and that police had apparently not released the name of that man.
1: Oh, did you find out who it is?
0: Yes, I did. Thanks to someone pointing it out to me. It turns out that the man has, in fact, been publicly named. I just missed it. It wasn't in any online articles or anything, but it was mentioned in an episode of On the Case with Paula Zahn. In that episode of On the Case with Paula Zahn, which is really good, by the way, it's revealed that the man's name is Noel David Smith. And I'm doing the whole three-name thing because he's a really bad guy. At the time of this recording, he's 48 years old, which means that he was 20 when 17-year-old Julie was murdered, and he's currently in a maximum-security Maryland prison where he'll spend the rest of his life.
1: Then he deserved all three names being mentioned.
0: He did. As we already mentioned, he landed himself there in prison by committing murder, and that happened in September of 1996, 18 months after Julie's murder. And it wasn't as if Knoll had been some mild-mannered guy who'd surprised everyone by committing murder. It was just the opposite, actually. According to Prince George's County Police Detective Nelson, Knoll was known to threaten people, assault people, especially women, and was, quote, a menace to society, unquote, who people were generally very afraid of.
1: So they were just kind of waiting for this to happen then.
0: Yeah, the guy was a loose, violent cannon. Noel Smith, the known menace to society, was obsessed with getting Julie to date him and would stop by the store where she worked, where she disappeared from, despite her telling him no before. He would not take no for an answer and just kept bothering her. Also, he was known to hang out on Daisy Lane, the then remote road where Julie's body was found the morning after her disappearance. And later, while incarcerated on an unrelated drug charge, Noel repeatedly bragged about allegedly having murdered Julie.
1: So that's pretty substantial. More than anything else I can remember about the case. Like, that's the strongest lead that I can see.
0: For sure. He definitely looks worse than anyone else. (laughs) So while it remains unknown whether Noel David Smith was also responsible for Julie's murder, we do know that he's a murderer and there's no doubt in my mind that he would have been capable of the crime. Now, for the record, that On the Case with Paula Zahn episode also mentions another young guy named Victor, who had also wanted to date Julie and who Julie had also turned down. He'd gotten angry with her and had actually threatened to harm her at one point. Obviously, this caught investigators' interest, but they were unable to find any evidence actually linking him to the crime.
1: And he didn't have any jail cell confessions?
0: Not that I know of. So, that's where we are with the case. We've got... They looked into Victor, couldn't find anything to tie him with it, and Noel David Smith looks very bad, which does not necessarily mean he's guilty, but now we know his name. If you have any information at all regarding the murder of Julie Ferguson, whether it involves Noel David Smith, Victor, or someone else, please call Crime Solvers at 1-866-411-8477. You can remain truly anonymous. Not even police will know who you are. If you prefer to text Crime Solvers instead of call, you can text 274-637, just make sure you include PGPD in the body of your text. If you would prefer to contact the Prince George's Police Department directly, you can call them at 301-516-9777. At the time of this recording, there's a substantial reward available for information that leads to a resolution in Julie's case. And now, on to today's story. Chance Engelbert was last seen alive on July 6th, 2019. Chance was a resident of the Cowboy State, Wyoming, and was himself a cowboy. He grew up on his family's cattle ranch in Burdock, South Dakota, where, according to his mom, he was a hardworking and somewhat shy kid. One thing Chance wasn't shy about, though, was rodeo. When it came to that, he was as bold as they come. And by the time he finished high school, he'd earned a college bareback riding rodeo scholarship.
1: That's pretty legit.
0: Definitely. Now, even if you're not very familiar with rodeo as a sport, you've almost certainly seen at least a snippet of bareback riding on TV. It's the sport where riders try to stay on a horse that's determined to throw them off. And as the name implies, there's no saddle, just a little handle attached to a strap at the horse's withers for riders to hold on to. If you picture the classic image of a cowboy with one hand in the air on top of an airborne horse, that's bareback rodeo riding. It's one of the most dangerous rodeo sports second only to bull riding when it comes to injury rates. Chance accepted the scholarship and went to Laramie Community College in the bordering state of Wyoming, where he studied welding and diesel mechanics. All went well, and not long after his college years, Chance met a woman named Bailey, and they fell in love. In 2018, Chance and Bailey got married, and the following year, they had their first and only child, a son. Life was good for the young family, but unfortunately, it wasn't long after they welcomed their baby into the world that things took a baffling turn for the worse. It happened in July of 2019, when Chance was 25, and his and Bailey's young son was only three months old. The family of three packed their truck for a weekend trip and hit the road destined for Garing, Nebraska, where Bailey's grandparents lived. The plan was to spend a weekend there, enjoying their company and celebrating the 4th of July holiday. Chance ended up joining his in-laws for a round of golf. It was just Chance and Bailey's male family members, none of the women joined them. So, Bailey wasn't present when, at some point during the game, the conversation turned to a new job that Chance had recently landed. He was about to start working for a propane company, Okay, I'm just going to pause here, Scott, so you can make a Hank Hill comment. Go on.
1: Was he manufacturing propane and propane accessories?
0: I don't know if this was a manufacturing thing or a sales position, but he was going to work in propane.
1: You know what? Given his diesel mechanics and welding career, I think Hank Hill would approve of this guy.
0: Oh, for sure. And the fact that he's a cowboy, Hank would love him. And the point is... In some capacity, Chance was about to start a job where he would help people taste the meat, not Not the heat. And unlike us, who are impressed by this, Bailey's family was not as excited about his new job.
1: They were probably charcoal people or smokers.
0: Well, either way, according to an article from News Nation Now, police say that members of Bailey's family made comments about how taking the new job meant that Chance would be making less money than he had at his previous job. According to an article by Jennifer Coker for Cowboy State Daily, there had been drinking going on, so it's possible that whoever made that statement to Chance had let alcohol get the best of their better judgment, but who knows. Either way, the comments offended Chance, which was understandable, especially since his job change hadn't been a voluntary one. He'd recently been laid off from his job at a coal mine, which is what had forced him to look for and accept a new job, even if it was one that didn't pay as much as his old one.
1: I mean, when it comes to taking care of your family, a job is better than no job.
0: Yeah, that's all he was trying to do. Understandably, it had been a stressful time getting laid off, having a newborn baby you know, having to worry about taking care of his family. And Bailey was a stay-at-home caregiver and parent. So he was earning the household's entire income. So there he is working so hard to get another job. He lands one. Things have been tough. He goes to relax for the weekend with her family. They're on the golf course. And now somebody's mocking him for his struggles. So yeah, he was mad. I would be too if I was him. In the wake of this comment, some sort of disagreement or argument ensued. Chance decided that he was done playing golf, so he called Bailey, who had their vehicle, and asked her to come pick him up from the course. Bailey agreed and soon showed up in their car. Chance got in and they drove away, leaving the tension at the golf course behind. And this is when another disagreement unfolded. Chance wanted to cut their trip short and head home immediately to Wyoming, but their hometown was nearly a four-hour drive away. Bailey didn't want to make that trip yet, so instead, she drove them back to her grandparents' house where they were staying. Chance was still upset over what Bailey's family member or members had said to him at the golf course, and he didn't want to go back to their house, so he didn't. Instead of settling back in at their home, Chance exited the car and started to walk. This occurred at approximately 7.30 in the evening. Now, Bailey wasn't overly concerned at the time because walking off a bad mood was normal for Chance. When he got upset, he usually took a walk to cool down and then returned when he was in a calmer frame of mind and things were fine.
1: You know what? For a 25-year-old, that's pretty mature.
0: It is. Yeah, so she wasn't worried. She had no reason not to believe that he wouldn't return shortly and that they could then discuss what to do next without things becoming overly heated. Bailey told Dateline NBC, quote, when he gets mad, he'll walk to cool down, but I didn't think he'd go far. He just kept walking until I couldn't see him. I didn't think he was serious, end quote. Unfortunately, though, things unfolded differently this time. Chance never returned, and no one who knows him has seen him since.
1: So it sounds like he has enough going for him that he wouldn't voluntarily banish.
0: Yeah, nobody he, who knows him thinks so.
1: He's way too responsible for that.
0: Most likely, yes, and we'll also get to some other discussion points surrounding that later on when we discuss theories in the case. Now, although this was the last time anyone in Chance's family laid eyes on him, it wasn't the last time they heard from him.
1: It wasn't?
0: No. At 7.45, 15 minutes after he'd begun his walk, Chance called one of his closest friends, a guy named Matt. Chance asked Matt for a ride home and told him that he was currently walking out of Garing, Nebraska, towards Torrington, Wyoming which was just over the state line, about 35 miles, or 56 kilometers away. Matt told him that he wasn't able to pick him up because he was in the middle of hosting a 4th of July party at his house back in Wyoming. Now remember, the town in Wyoming where Chance lives is a four-hour drive from where he is in Nebraska at this point. So for someone to come from that town in Wyoming and pick him up and take him back, that would be an eight-hour round trip. And it's already after seven in the evening.
1: So he wasn't 35 minutes away from where his friend was.
0: No, no, no. He was 35 minutes away from the state line and then there would be several hours of driving. So we're still talking like an eight-hour round trip if someone came to get him. It's a lot to ask, especially that late in the evening at the drop of a dime, but that just goes to show you how badly Chance wanted to get out of Nebraska. So Chance sounded so upset and so determined to get out of Nebraska that Matt felt like he needed to help his friend out. So he told him that although he couldn't come pick him up, he'd reach out to some of their mutual friends and see if anybody was available to come get him. Bailey also spoke to Chance again. She called him right after he got off the phone with Matt. And when she asked him where he was, he told her that he was walking south. So Bailey set out in their car to find him, but she couldn't. This might seem strange at first. I mean, with a population of about 8,000 people, Garing is very much a small town, but there's a pretty good reason why.
1: Maybe I'm messing up my geography here, but isn't he walking north?
0: Actually, yeah, he probably was. Now, he told her he was walking south when she asked, but according to a really well-put-together timeline of his case on Uncovered.com, Chance also spoke to some friends on the phone, and he told all of them that he was walking north.
1: So he purposely lied to
0: her? It seems like it. It seems like he wasn't ready to be picked up yet, and he probably needed more time to walk off his anger. or maybe walk all the way back to Wyoming, which apparently is what he was upset enough to consider at that point. So probably Bailey was unknowingly searching for her husband in the direction that was actually the opposite of the one he'd really taken. Now, Chance never did find anyone who was able to give him a ride back to Wyoming, but he did communicate with some friends some more via phone that night. I don't know all of the details of the communications, but I know that the last time anyone heard from him for sure was at 8.46 p.m., And at that point, Bailey and everyone figured that his phone might have run out of battery. It had been several hours, and he'd been using it a lot. And who knows how charged it was when he hit the golf course in the first place. More concerningly, though, at about 9 p.m., a thunderstorm rolled in. And I'm not talking about a few dark clouds and distant peals of thunder. I mean a real storm, one that News Nation now describes as powerful with lightning and strong winds.
1: Well, given their location, is it possible for also tornadoes?
0: Uh, Sure, it's possible, but that's not what happened. It was just a strong storm, not a tornado. Okay. But Bailey and her family figured that Chance had probably taken shelter in a nearby business. Bailey's grandparents' house, which, remember, was where Chance had begun his walk, was located on a residential street in the heart of their small town, and there were numerous businesses dotting the surrounding blocks and streets. So despite the small town setting, it's not like he'd strolled off into rolling farm fields or anything like that but the plentiful nearby buildings certainly didn't stop them from looking for him. Bailey's grandfather joined the search, driving up and down the local roads as the storm raged on, peering through his rain-streaked windshield for any sign of chance. Unfortunately, he didn't find any, not during the storm and not after. I'm not sure what Bailey and her family were thinking as the night wore on, but they had to be worried. Whether or not they believed that chance might have gotten a ride home to Wyoming from a friend after all, I have no idea. But come morning, when they had neither found him nor heard from him, they knew it was time to ask for professional help. And so, they called the local police and reported him missing. Now, even though they called the police, they weren't about to slow their own efforts to locate Chance. Far from it. Bailey, her family, and Chance's family and friends all banded together to scour Garing and the surrounding rural land. According to an article by Jennifer Coker for County 17 News, Between volunteers and law enforcement, nearly 150 people participated, searching on foot, by horseback, and by ATV. They even deployed drones for an aerial view of the terrain. Some of the searchers worked nonstop from sunrise to sunset, including Bailey, even though she had to return to her grandparents' home every couple hours to feed her newborn baby. All in all, in addition to civilian volunteers, 18 different law enforcement agencies participated in the search efforts. They brought in helicopters and canines, including cadaver dogs. They also went so far as to drain a local canal just in case Chance had somehow ended up in the water. But to everyone's surprise and disappointment, none of these extensive efforts resulted in any trace of Chance. Investigators spoke to a witness who'd seen Chance walking down 10th Street at approximately 8 p.m. the night before. According to that witness, Chance had been traveling north.
1: So is 10th Street still inside Gehring? Yes. So he hadn't made it out of the city at that point.
0: Right. And it seems that he had been telling his friends the truth about the direction in which he'd been walking, which presumably means that he lied to Bailey because he didn't want to get picked up yet. Now, remember how I mentioned that there were a variety of businesses on the streets Chance had walked? I do. Well, it turns out that a number of them had security cameras and Chance had been captured on the footage. So investigators were able to trace his route of travel for a short distance that way. They found that he was captured on security footage walking past a pizza place in Garing at 7.51, which was about 20 minutes after he'd gotten out of the vehicle. He was seen on footage again walking by a couple of other businesses in Gering, and then at 10 p.m., an hour after that storm rolled in, he was seen on surveillance footage for the last time. This last video capture occurred at the intersection of Terry Boulevard and Staple Club Road in Terrytown, Nebraska. Terrytown is a very small town that lies immediately north of Garing. And the distance between where Chance had started and that intersection where he was last seen on camera was about two miles.
1: Okay, so not that far away.
0: No, it would be a realistic distance for him to travel on foot within the given time frame. After that, though, Chance was never seen again, not on camera and not by any person. There were some reported sightings, but investigators looked into them and didn't find any of them to be credible. Of course, investigators obtained Chance's cell phone location records, and they found that his phone had last pinged in the area off of a cell tower near the Riverview Golf Course at some time between 9 and 10 p.m. on the night of his disappearance. This particular cell tower, which is one of only four in the area, is located just outside of Scott's Bluff, which is a town north of Terrytown. Basically, there's this three-town sandwich with tiny little Terrytown in the middle, Garing to the south, and Scott's Bluff to the north.
1: Is Scott's Bluff about the same size as Terrytown?
0: No, it's bigger. Okay. And fortunately, that ping gave investigators information about the phone's location. According to that timeline on Uncovered.com that I mentioned earlier, information generated during the pinging process indicates that at the time of that final ping, Chance's phone was located approximately two to three miles south or southeast of the tower it pinged off of. And you know what's located approximately two to three miles south or southeast of that cell tower as the crow flies? Terrytown, which, again, is where Chance was last caught on camera at 10 p.m. And again, the cell phone ping occurred at some time between 9 and 10 p.m. So the cell phone ping and the security camera footage are in alignment with each other. This suggests that Chance probably had his phone on his person whenever it was last pinged.
1: So that makes sense. But the only question I have now with the cell phone is did he turn it off at that point or did it lose battery? And unfortunately, there's no real way to know that.
0: Yeah, no idea. Like I said, no trace of chance was ever found. And that includes his phone. We don't know where that is. And what happened after that final ping in that final camera sighting, we can't know for sure. But it's safe to say that since the phone didn't communicate with any more cell phone towers, it either ran out of battery power. Was turned off, or in some way destroyed or rendered incapable of communication. The first explanation is the simplest and perhaps the most likely. Speaking of Chance's cell phone, though, there's another piece of information I'd be remiss not to mention, and that's the last text ever sent from his cell phone. More on that next. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Do you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. And now, back to Chance's story. At 9.08pm, a little under an hour before Chance was last seen on camera, a text was sent to Chance's aunt, presumably by Chance himself, since we know that he was alive and likely had his phone on his person at the time. The text contained a single grumpy face emoji and a series of nonsensical letters, as if Chance had perhaps made typos while attempting to type a brief message. If that's what happened, the typos might have been caused by the rain, carelessness, or something else. I mean, we've all made typos while texting before. What the text was supposed to have said, I'm not sure. And as for why he chose to text his aunt, it was probably because she was one of numerous family members who'd reached out to him via text, trying to get in touch with him because they'd been told that he was upset and looking for a ride back to Wyoming. In any case, though, that confusing text was the last known communication Chance had with anyone. When it comes to what may have happened to Chance, who, at the time of this recording, has been missing for three years, authorities feared that he may have somehow slipped into the Platte River, which borders the northern edge of Terrytown, separating it from Scotts Bluff. However, no trace of Chance has ever been found in the river or on its banks, despite the fact that search and rescue divers searched the waters once they receded to a level that was safe to dive in. Additionally, according to an article by Jennifer Coker for Cowboy State Daily, Chance's mom, Dawn, doesn't believe that her son slipped into the river. According to her, he was an avid swimmer. Of course, even the strongest swimmer could easily be overcome by the currents in a river pushing flood levels, but as an avid swimmer, Chance was probably well aware of how dangerous the waters were on the night of his disappearance.
1: I mean, this is something I actually have some experience to speak to. Yeah. Being a Swift Bar rescue tech, those waters are incredibly dangerous, even for the rescue techs and engineers that have to go out there and be in it. I mean, one of the staples for being a rescue tech with my department that was, was if you were in your bunker boots or if you weren't in like tennis shoes, if you didn't have light footwear that could easily maneuver through the water, you weren't allowed within five feet of that water's edge because there was no stable ground. You had to stay out of the hot zone.
0: I am not a swift water rescue tech and I never have been. However, I do have experience from the other side of the coin. I have been sucked into river rapids before, and it was a very long and rocky, bruised journey before I came out at the other end. And that wasn't even during a storm or flood levels. That was just a normal river. So, you know, I have no doubt that with this inclement weather going on, had he fallen in, he probably would not have been able to swim his way out. But he also probably knew well how dangerous it was to get close to the river. And I'm not sure what motivation he would have had for getting close to it. Now, to be clear, so I'm not over-dramatizing things, there wasn't an actual flood happening. The rain didn't last long enough for the river to get that high. It was just a river during a strong storm, but still very dangerous should you find yourself in the water. As a quick aside, I mentioned earlier that there had been drinking at the golf game that Chance had participated in earlier that day. As best I can tell from all the sources I've read, Chance had likely consumed some alcohol, but there's no indication that he had become overly intoxicated. In all of the security video footage, he's seen walking steadily and purposefully. He certainly wasn't stumbling or anything like that. So it seems unlikely that he was intoxicated enough, if he was intoxicated at all, to be at a particularly heightened risk of somehow slipping or falling into the river. In 2021, some hunters did stumble across a human arm bone near the Platte River. The bone had been damaged by water, and because of its poor condition, DNA tests were unsuccessful. However, the bone was found with a piece of clothing that matched the exact description of what another man had been wearing when he disappeared. Therefore, investigators strongly believe that the bone doesn't belong to Chance, but rather to another man whose name was Walter Gene Patterson Black. When it comes to Chance's mom, Dawn, she also provided journalist Jennifer Coker with some insight on Chance's texting habits. She says that Chance didn't normally use emojis, so she finds the fact that one was included in his final text to his aunt, Strange. But then again, we know his emotions were heightened and that entire text was strange, and it's possible even that the emoji was just a typo. So it's difficult to say what significance the emoji may or may not hold. In the end, we can't know for sure whether Chance might have somehow suffered an accident that had ended with him in the river. Until and unless Chance is found elsewhere, it's not possible to rule the river out. However, there's no evidence to suggest that that's what happened to him, so other possibilities must be considered as well. Whenever someone disappears without a trace, people often wonder whether they might have intentionally started a new life somewhere else. In Chance's case, that seems unlikely. Neither Chance's cell phone nor his bank cards and accounts have been touched since the night he disappeared, and it's really difficult to start fresh with literally nothing but the rain-soaked shirt on your back. Moreover, those who know Chance best can't imagine him voluntarily leaving his family and everything he knew and loved behind. He was known to be reliable, a hard worker, and to have a deep love of family, especially his young son. Of course, people sometimes surprise even those they're closest to, but Chance's lack of resources, combined with the fact that no one has come forward to report giving him a ride or any credible sightings, suggests that he likely did not disappear voluntarily. Another possibility that's often considered when someone disappears is suicide, but to the best of my knowledge, there's no evidence to suggest that Chance was or ever had been suicidal, and of course, no remains have ever been found. Which brings us to the possibility of foul play. If someone else was responsible for Chance's disappearance, that could explain why he or his remains have never been found. When it comes to foul play speculation, the possibilities are many. Could Chance have chosen to hitch a ride with a stranger when getting one from a friend didn't pan out? If so, had that stranger or strangers harmed him, perhaps in the course of a robbery or for some other reason? It's pure speculation, of course, but given Chance's determination to get out of Nebraska, it seems conceivable that he might have resorted to hitchhiking, and hitchhiking, as we all know, can be dangerous. I actually tried to find statistics for the likelihood of becoming the victim of a violent crime while hitchhiking, but perhaps unsurprisingly, it hasn't been well studied. In fact, the only study I found at all was 50 years old and from California, which I figured probably rendered its results pretty irrelevant in modern-day Nebraska. Regardless, there's always an element of danger involved in climbing into a stranger's vehicle. There's another possibility I've got to bring up. And Scott, you probably already know what I'm about to say because I always wonder about this in cases where a pedestrian disappears from on or near a road. That is the possibility that someone could have accidentally and fatally struck chance with their vehicle and moved and concealed his remains in an effort to avoid taking responsibility for their crime.
1: I have been waiting for this to be mentioned. We bring it up almost every time we have anybody next to our
0: road. Well, that's because it's possible.
1: We have had that as a very strong possibility in other cases, too.
0: Yeah. Now, there is no evidence to suggest that this is what happened. But I'm especially concerned about this possibility because Chance disappeared on a holiday weekend. Typically, a lot of drinking occurs on the 4th of July weekend, which results in a higher-than-usual number of intoxicated drivers on the road. In fact, according to the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, the 4th of July comes in second only to January 1st when it comes to the percentage of vehicle crash deaths that are linked to drunk driving in the United States.
1: And I'm sure it goes without stating, but I'll state it anyways. When you combine drunk driving and thunderstorms or any kind of light rain, I mean, that's a higher possibility even excluding the drinking when it comes to storm at night.
0: With it being dark and the heavy rain and the winds, it can be incredibly difficult for a completely sober driver to see a few feet ahead of them in that situation. So.
1: And then you combine it with intoxication or somebody that has been under the influence of some kind of narcotic.
0: Right. So overall, with drunk drivers statistically more likely to be on the roads and the fact that there was a storm and the fact that it was dark whenever Chance disappeared, these combined factors would certainly have made it very dangerous for someone to be traveling by foot on the side of the road.
1: I will go out and say this. I can't back it up with any statistics because I haven't looked them up, but I think that a drunk driver would be more likely to try to discard or hide a body than a sober driver.
0: I think so, too, because people's inhibitions are lowered and their decision making is generally poor when they're intoxicated. So,
1: Not to mention they've already been involved in an illegal crime and they don't want to get in trouble for that also.
0: Right, you can't really say it was just an accident when you were driving under the influence. Now, if a vehicle was involved in Chance's disappearance, no matter how it was involved, it could potentially explain why searchers, including canines, were unable to locate or track Chance within the small town he disappeared from or the surrounding countryside. Speaking of it being a small town, it may surprise you to know that Wyoming, the state Chance was trying so desperately to get back to when he disappeared, is seventh in the entire nation when it comes to states with the most missing people. You know, it's surprising that Wyoming is number seven out of 50 because Wyoming is literally number 50, the least populous state in the entire country.
1: So Wyoming's a good place for people to want to disappear at. Oh, apparently it is. To not have people in anybody else's business. I think that freedom and seclusion and like you said, It's number 50 when it comes to population. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of people all over. There's not like a bunch of bypassers that are going to see you if you're doing something shady. There's a lot of open range. So I can definitely see it. And I'm honestly kind of surprised it's not higher up.
0: Why so many people are missing in Wyoming, I can't tell you for sure. It may be due, at least in part, to limited law enforcement resources in the state when compared to its more populous counterparts.
1: That's another option.
0: Yeah, the sheer amount of wilderness and rural land may play a role as well. You combine those two factors, and when someone goes missing in Wyoming, there's potentially an enormous area of difficult terrain to search, and fewer people than would be ideal available to do the searching. Now, when it comes to theories, some members of the public have wondered whether Bailey and or her family might have been responsible for Chance's disappearance. However, investigators say that Bailey and her family have been extremely cooperative throughout the investigation. They're not considered suspects, and investigators continue to receive tips on the case to this day. According to an article by Jennifer Coker for Cowboy State Daily, investigators say they're exploring the possibility of Chance's disappearance being the result of a potentially deadly robbery, and they still consider it possible that Chance might have had an accident particularly that he might have somehow fallen into the river. And yet, this hasn't stopped some people from accusing and even threatening Bailey and her family. Bailey actually stopped giving interviews and working with the press because she started receiving death threats, which of course made her feel unsafe in the spotlight. This unfortunate situation reminds me of our last episode, our Missy Beaver's episode, where some internet detectives harassed innocent people who they were convinced had committed the crime.
1: It's a very strong parallel.
0: Yes. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, spoiler alert, the people who were harassed did not commit the crime. And I actually have a story along those lines for this case, which is even crazier than the garbage snatching stories from our last episode.
1: Do tell.
0: Okay. To start with, a part of what makes this so weird and so inappropriate is that the person at the heart of this little side plot isn't just any internet sleuth. They're a politician.
1: So a politician is playing internet sleuth on Chance's case.
0: Yes. To be specific, this person is a former South Dakota state senator.
1: Not even Wyoming.
0: No. This was in no way, shape, or form any of their business.
1: Okay, so they don't have access to try to force out answers from the police departments.
0: No, no sort of investigative privilege or anything like that. Now, Lynn DeSanto is the former South Dakota state senator in question. She's a former member of the South Dakota House of Representatives and the former Republican majority whip in the South Dakota state house. She tends to go by several different versions of her name, but for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to call her Lynn while telling this story. Lynn courted controversy during her time in the political spotlight, mostly on Facebook which, again, seems to be a common theme when it comes to these vigilante justice-seeker stories. Scott, do you remember back in 2017, it was really big news when a white supremacist rally was held in Charlottesville, Virginia, and a man intentionally drove his vehicle into a crowd of counter-protesters and killed one of them? Yes. When that happened, Lynn, who at the time was actively the House Republican majority whip, posted a meme mocking the event that had taken an innocent woman's life. It's a really bold move for any politician to publicly make fun of someone who was literally murdered by a wannabe Nazi. And yet that's what Lynn did. So the meme in question was like a stick figure drawing of people getting run over by an SUV. And it was captioned with, All lives splatter. And Lynn even went so far as to add her own caption to the meme, stating that it was, quote, a movement they could all support, end quote. Only, guess what? It turned out that all people did not support this. They actually found it very inappropriate and offensive. Well, because of Lynn's position of political authority and privilege, people noticed her post, and it didn't go over well. Now, don't get me wrong, her distasteful commentary on a tragic murder did not affect her political position immediately at all. But there were other consequences. In addition to being a politician, she worked as a real estate agent. And the firm that she worked for uh, ties with her and also a conference on domestic violence dropped her as a keynote speaker. I wonder why. Yes. As these things started happening, Lynn deleted the post, locked down her Facebook profile, and eventually apologized. Sort of. So... When it comes to this apology, and I'm using air quotes, Lynn made a public statement during which she said that she was sorry if people took offense to her message. However, she never actually apologized for posting the message, just for people having feelings. So she still supports her message. Yeah. This is a sorry I got caught, not sorry I did it kind of scenario, although she did it publicly, so she's not sorry. Anyway, I told you this story just to give you an idea of the kind of person that we're dealing with. So now that you have a little taste of Lynn and how she chooses to present herself to the public, imagine if she suddenly developed an interest in trying to solve true crime cases on her own. Just imagine how that might go.
1: I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of harassment and very little actual fact.
0: That is, in fact, completely accurate. Yes, Lynn became interested in a couple cases, including chances. And she decided that she would investigate herself, even though she doesn't have any investigative authority. She even started a YouTube channel to publicly chronicle her efforts and theories. Now, it probably doesn't surprise you to know that Lynn was seemingly in the camp of people who felt that Bailey and or her family might have had something to do with Chance's disappearance.
1: It is an easy angle for the layman to jump behind. Yes,
0: and a conspiracy theory wherein you accuse people is also potentially good for getting YouTube views. But what did Lynn do about this belief? Well, she did not limit her commentary to Facebook this time. Instead, she drove from her home in Montana all the way to Bailey's doorstep in Wyoming, uninvited. And when Bailey found Lynn knocking persistently on her door and filming the exterior of her house, she was... Alarmed, Bailey was alone with her baby and frightened by the insistent woman on her doorstep. So, Bailey called the police and Lynn was ultimately cited for breach of peace. A judge also granted Bailey a stalking protective order against Lynn.
1: That will be great for re-election campaigns.
0: Yeah. When it comes to Lynn's true crime misadventures, there's plenty of material available online if you want to dig into it. And some of it relates to another missing persons case in which she also involved herself in a questionable manner. But I think we've spoken about her enough now. The point is Bailey and her family have been on the receiving end of a lot of scrutiny and even aggression, not just from everyday people and Facebook sleuths, but from a politician with an appetite for internet notoriety. There's not any known evidence to suggest that Bailey or her family were responsible for whatever happened to Chance, and they've consistently been cooperative with investigators. Plus, let's not forget that they led search efforts for Chance since before the police were even involved. Bailey was also actively working with media to get the word out about Chance's disappearance until death threats forced her to step away from the spotlight. As a newly single mom of her infant son, she couldn't afford to risk her own safety. Looking at what we know about Chance's disappearance logically, it seems most likely that if he was the victim of foul play, the person responsible for his disappearance was probably someone from outside of his family. And since he seldom visited Garing, Nebraska, a town he was connected to only by his wife's family, that person was most likely a stranger to Chance, which means that the crime, if one occurred, was likely one of opportunity. If you know anything about the disappearance of Chance Engelbert, please call the Garing Police Department at 308-436-5088.
1: That's all for this episode of Last Seen Alive. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Make sure you check our website, lastseenalivepodcast.com, for photos from the story and links to the sources we use to write it. While you're at it, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LSA Podcast. New episodes of Last Seen Alive go live every other Monday. See you then. If you don't want to wait until then to listen to more episodes, check out our Patreon where we have full-length bonus episodes available for subscribers only. Also, if you enjoyed what you heard here today, please take a moment to rate or review Last Seen Alive, tell your friends to check us out too, and share this story with them. We really would appreciate it and it would help get the word out. Last Seen Alive is written and researched by you, Leah. Audio engineering and editing is provided by me, Scott, in partnership with our podcast production company, Podcast Post Production. Check them out at podcastpostproduction.com for all of your podcasting needs. Before Shopify, were you wondering where are my sales at?